Hi everyone, it's Casper and welcome back to The Nearness. Um, today is a little bit of a special episode. It's a much longer one because I am not here by myself. Uh, I'm here with my dear friend, Elizabeth Oldfield. Liz is an enormously gifted person at helping people and groups grow in connection. So she's the perfect person to talk to as we make sense of what we've been doing over the eight weeks um, in the nearness so far and what might come next. Liz is the host of a podcast called The Sacred that I highly recommend. She's a former journalist for the BBC in London and used to be head of the think tank Theos, amongst many other things, including living in her intentional community with her husband, kids and another couple. With Derek Scott III, Liz helped lead the pilot experience for the Nearness back in the spring of 2022. So some of you may be familiar with her. And she's one of the wise people we've asked to be on our spiritual advisory board. So I'm so glad Liz is here to help us explore how we cultivate our spiritual lives and reflect on these last eight weeks. Welcome, Liz. It's so good to be here. Woohoo! <laughs> I'm so glad you're here because as I thought about, well, how can we look back on this first journey, uh, kind of public journey that we've had together with the nearness. And we've talked about how do we cultivate our spiritual lives and we've done various practices and we've read the covenant and lit our candles and done our meditation kind of opening practice. But of course, all of that is baked within this desire to grow as spiritual people. And I wanted to ask you that really big question first of what is spiritual growth? Well, just start me with an easy one, Casper. <laughs> what is spiritual growth? Well, honestly, I think it's really hard to come to a universal answer for this. It's so personal and so private, this mm. sense that there is the kind of person that we want to be, right? The thing from the government about how we want to show up in the world. And there is a story and a journey and a long path that involves that, that, that is required in that kind of unfolding and that becoming. Mm. And it, when you asked earlier, the metaphor that was coming to mind, well, the kind of binary that's coming to mind is uh that our culture gives us a lot of quite mechanistic metaphors that we are if we're not careful encouraged to see the world as a machine as societies as machines as ourselves as machines you know we're looking for hacks we're looking um <laughs> for uh a lot of the language around kind of self-improvement or um you know time management and efficiency and productivity all these kind of up and to the right metaphors you know be your best self can sound very machiney mm. and we really want to just find the lever that we can pull to get you know the output that we want we can pull this lever for a flat stomach and this lever for um a promotion at work or whatever it is yeah and spiritual I even hesitate to use the word progress like spiritual deepening becoming someone and again everyone with different language for this but for me it's someone wiser and more loving and more patient and more joyful and more grounded and more resilient from for me the metaphor that I always use I have a spiritual director and the metaphor that I always use is about a tree 
and putting my roots down deep and so and growth is actually before it got co-opted by capitalism (laughs) is an organic (laughs) metaphor right it is about long steady patient growth over time through different seasons of becoming and so whatever it is it's slow and steady and participatory it's not just about us Mm. um but that's my very uh partial first answer to this question is something organic those those metaphors will help us more than machine metaphors well i love that image of the tree also because uh, as you were saying it's slow right this happens over time and of course we spend eight weeks together which is not nothing but it's also very very short (laughs) hopefully in in a long lifetime um and so I love that image of the tree because it it illustrates both that kind of the the slowness and constancy of that growth. Obviously seasonal, so there'll be more growth, you know, during the summer maybe than the winter. But also I love it because our roots grow before our branches and just that sense of what's happening underground, you know, away from the visible eye. Um there's growth happening without us even noticing sometimes. And I think that's that's one of the things that really strikes me about spiritual growth is it's not something that you can just track. Like, do I have more words in my, you know, Mandarin vocab or, <laughs> you know, am I, am I better at sight reading music? Um, I can test it straight away, but the spiritual growth, there's something about it unfolding and you kind of only noticing after it's done. Um, which I, yeah, I really love that image of the tree. That's so helpful. And you know, with, with... lots of lots of traditions use imagery of fruit, right? That you fertilize a tree, you might prune a tree, right? Like sometimes spiritual growth feels like going backwards because things are being stripped off you and it is uncomfortable, right? You're laying down old habits or old stories about yourself, old stories about other people. The tree is being trained into a different shape in order to be more fruitful. And and that fruit takes a lot of time and like healthy spirituality is active resistance to the kind of instant gratification culture and it requires us it invites us but also requires us to take a breath and slow down and realize that like the kind of shining luminous souls in the 80s that you just meet very occasionally and think like gosh you contain treasure how do i become you have walked slowly and steadily and patiently like a long faithfulness in the same direction a theologian once called it and i'm in my late 30s i feel like i'm just beginning right but i'm aware Mm. that there's a lifetime's worth ahead of me and i do feel excited about that now i've kind of surrendered to my desire to tick a box really fast (laughs) i i would love us just to spend a moment with where you're bringing us to that you know when you're with someone maybe in the latter stages of life, who just has that luminous quality. And I'm thinking in 2012, I was extremely lucky and I had no business being there, but I was on a learning journey in Detroit and I I got to meet Grace Lee Boggs, who at that point was in her, gosh, very late 90s. I think she died maybe a year or two afterwards. And what struck me about the community organization that she'd um, created with her late husband was that its leadership was multi-generational. There she was in her 90s. The next generation of leaders who'd come to Detroit to be with her and work with her uh, were now in their 60s. 
Then there was a, a group that they had mentored now in their 30s. And then there was a group of 15-year-olds that those in their 30s now were mentoring and bringing up into leadership. And I'm just seeing the connection between that kind of multi-generational community and the tree metaphor in the way that, you know, it's never just a single tree, right? It's a whole ecosystem. It's a forest. And I'm just loving that sense of spiritual growth is it's always going to be relational, whether you're, whether you're a tree or whether you're Gracely Boggs. And I think so much of her joy that was radiating when I got to meet her that time, just for a few hours with a group, was that she could see the fruit of her life in this community and in the impact that they have had on the city of Detroit. So that sense of, yeah, seeing that fruit over time has really struck me. But I, I imagine that she had had to surrender success as her mm. primary outcome, right? That yeah. often these, the, the great wisdom paths teach us that faithfulness won't always look like success. But the kind of fruitfulness that comes from faithfulness is much more life-giving and freeing anyway. It's a, re it's a really counterintuitive thing like sometimes to do the work that only we're called to that is really actually meaningful in the world we have to lay down our desire to be a success yeah there's so many things that she said or even the way that she talked that fits with what you're saying about the time it takes and the yeah the kind of anti-instant gratification she talked about revolution but always with little kind of parentheses around the r so her focus was as much on evolution as the revolution because it, it I think because she knew it took time. And so, yeah, that's so that's so embedded in 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 the way that she uh, she lived her life. Yeah. I, I want to ask you, Liz, just about this image. We, we're going with organic metaphors here for thinking about kind of what spiritual growth looks like. Another image that you often encounter and i'm thinking about in kind of chinese philosophy and islam as well as well as christianity is this idea of a path or a, a way a road there's some sense of direction and i had a wonderful mentor who once told me in in islamic wisdom they'll often say that the road is straight but it isn't narrow which i really like because it allows for maybe a little bending even if you're on the road, right? You, you could walk from one side to the other or there's space for different people to be walking next to each other without being exactly the same road. So I'm just, I'm just curious, how, how, how does that image work for you when you're thinking about spiritual growth development, you know, as we're becoming the kind of people that we want to be? Honestly, it's interesting that my immediate reaction is a slight resistance. <laughs> what, you know, my tradition, I, I'm, I'm, embedded in christianity where jesus talks about being the way right and and um it's very familiar imagery but i guess if that feels very destination based <clears throat> the point is the place you're going and i i guess the true the truer sense of the metaphor is the point is the journey the point is the um the traveling and i do love that sense of traveling with others and being able to see those up ahead, them kind of turning around and, and encouraging you and being like, you know, uh, the Narnia books, they talk about like come up higher, higher up and further in or whatever it is, mm. you know, that there's more, there's, there's more than you can see. There's more ahead of you. And probably what you can see right now is like the rocks or the boulders or 
the fact that everyone around you seems to be on a different road and going in a different direction for you. Maybe saying like, that road looks boring, that road looks hard. <laughs> like come over on our fun party road over here where we can be as bitchy as we like. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, we can just do all the things that feed the, the worst parts of ourselves and, and, and this, keeping your eye at those up ahead and be like, okay, five years time, what kind of person do I want to be in 10 years time? What kind of person mm. do I want to be? And therefore what are the rhythms and the practices and the habits that I need to develop? Yeah. I've taught myself into quite liking it as a way of orienting ourselves. I often think about orient spirituality as a form of orientation as a little compass. Mm. Mm. The world feels very, very hard to navigate. Right. And the maps that we're given now are so confusing. There's very little passed down. There's very little like, here is a map of a good life. Go follow yeah. it. It's like, it's fine. Here's some crayons, draw your own map. And like, I like the freedom. I do want the freedom, but I would like at least to know where North is, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I can no longer read the stars like people yes. used to be able to. So I need a little help. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, orient a little compass is a is a helpful thing on the way. I think that's. Do you know what? I really like that. Maybe compass rather than a, an, an individual road. We're all also starting from different places, and so you know, having the direction rather than the destination. Maybe that's a that's a better way to frame that. I like that a lot. Okay, so we've got we've got trees, we've got paths, we've got compasses. Maybe <laughs> we've got crayons. This is this is all working very well. <laughs> So my next question is, well, how does that spiritual deepening happen? Mm. So I think it is incredibly difficult for it to happen alone. I really, really struggle unless I have people who I'm known by and who know me at a mm. deep level, not at a performative level, who know the worst bits of me as well as the best bits of me and who I know the worst bits of and have a container of love that can hold those right i think that committed and intentional community and whether that's an explicitly religious congregation or something like the nearness which is a just a beautiful possibility of building that in small groups coming mm. together with other people who are taking this seriously is such a important and powerful starting point because much of spirituality can be a buzzword like serious spirituality is easy to scoff at you seem earnest right you get called self-righteous even that if that's the last thing you feel the group protection of a bunch of other people saying, yes, I feel this too. Yes, the grief of the world weighs heavy on me too. Yes, I want to become more than I already am. It's just huge. So yeah, community where there's some accountability and a lot of honesty and consistency and commitment is really key. And then I do think time alone, time in silence, you know, it took me a long time to work out what were the practices that I could for one thing maintain in any shape or form and two that sort of worked with the grain of my own soul not against it the monks and nuns and old wise sages you know weren't wrong that there is an element that requires some discipline you just got to keep doing the thing even if you're finding it boring that day or you'd rather watch netflix like <laughs> i really resonate with what you're saying about the need to discover what the practices are that are going to sustain you because it's going to be different for me and, and from whoever's listening and there's probably going to be something that sustains you that that is a, a solo practice 
no, I'm an extrovert. So I'm like, give me all the people. Yes, I want to be around others. So it's the community practices that definitely sustain me. But we're all probably going to need some mix of, of solo and, and community. For me, that was one of the big, big aha moments with the nearness was I think it's about these small groups. We developed that together with Alec and, and Derek and others as well to find what's the right kind of structure to help us in those conversations that are honest, that don't look away when things get difficult, but that always look on look on whatever the conversation is in a, in a loving, accompanying way. And it's been so lovely. Honestly, we've been getting lots of feedback from people so far and over and over again people's favorite thing is their small group. And it's because I think this time was was just long enough and perhaps the invitation was strong enough for people to just fall in love with each other. <laughs> even even if you don't necessarily, you wouldn't choose to sit next to this person or you, you it's not like you, you necessarily have a lot in common. But once you hear from someone in a really honest, deep way, there's something that happens in us that just, we just love them. And yeah. I, I, that for me is just such magic, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's, you know, as you call it, it's a, an extraordinary spiritual technology. You can put a bunch of strangers in a room and help them feel safe enough to reveal mm. a bit of their soul and the like guardedness that we all come into these situations with naturally just drops away. Within certain constraints and with a lot of thought, again, about a safe container, it, it can be safe enough for people to feel seen and in feeling seen to grow. I honestly think, you know, if that was all people did, they showed up every week with some strangers and were honest about, I'm using soul language, but it won't work for everyone, but the state of their insert favored term here, you know, the, the state of their soul for shorthand. And were met with, you know, unconditional positive regard and met with just like empathetic listening, didn't need to hide anything and then went away again. You can't, You sort of can't help but feel slightly clearer and slightly calmer which helps you make healthier decisions where you're growing into the kind of person you want to be rather than away from them so why is that so hard in our normal everyday life knowing that you know everyone's circumstances are very different but why why is that so countercultural? what gets in the way Ugh, i'm trying to write about this at the moment casper i'll tell you when i've worked out i am um... <laughs> I think it's probably always been hard. Mm. I think that to get super existential for a minute, our f deepest fear is that we're alone. And when we're very, very well parented, which even like very loving and very good parents don't always nail it, but we're very, very well parented and have a very secure attachment. We have a slightly more a head start, <laughs> like mm. the sense that we sort of expect that when we open our hearts to the world, that they will be met with kindness. We won't be rejected. Exactly. Yeah. But even those of us with incredibly secure attachment, the reality of the world is sometimes you open your heart and you bear your soul and someone stamps on it, right? Yeah. <laughs> From quite early on in these tiny, tiny ways, we are defended and defensive against mm. each other because we fear that we are alone and we fear that it's a world of scarcity and we fear that we are not loved this is my like cod psychology theory <laughs> but i <laughs> i think that it's possible that in other ages or other cultures these great wisdom paths 
helped some people with the framework where you are seeing the same people regularly, you know, and you are known, there is singing, <laughs> you know, there are shared words that you say together. There's something incredibly powerful about saying words, meaningful words out loud together. I mean, where else do you do that in life? Um, and where you are encouraged to share what's going on with you and to hear what's going on with other people and seek to meet each other's needs. Um, and that level of intimacy, Martin Buber calls it I-thou moments, and I'm absolutely obsessed with them, where the other people in the world stop being an it and they become a you. He says all, all living is meeting, and I'm very like strongly in agreement with him that we are most fully alive in these moments where we see each other, mm. but that we live in a world that doesn't value them and therefore doesn't form us in ways that make them easier and doesn't set up systems and structures that makes them easier. And healthy yeah. spirituality should and does because it it puts them in the middle of things it says the moment that i see you and you see me is somehow divine or somehow mm. meaningful at a level we can't explain on a spreadsheet mm. <laughs> i'm going to pursue those things <laughs> yeah well and those have been the moments that i've gotten to hear about because people have told me you know about their their experience so far that have been so moving where that practice of doing it in the small group has maybe given someone the confidence or maybe some skills to try out in their in their life outside of their small group so not gossiping at work in the way that they did because they they want to show up in that authentic way or reaching out to their brother and saying i love you and i miss you like can we see each other you know d d it, it they sound so uh, no. elementary in some way but they're huge they're huge and they feel so risky because it is as you're saying kind of stepping with one way of being into a sphere where <laughs> you know that way of being hasn't been the norm perhaps and so that practicing of relationship and that practicing of listening and that practicing of paying attention during our small group time I really believe it shapes us to to show up in a different way in the in the rest of our life part of spiritual growth is learning to trust our intuitions that those things are important and possibly more mm. important than anything else because you're right i have spent my life like trying to work out how to talk about choosing not to gossip about someone or calling your brother when you feel scared to in ways that don't make that sound boring and pious right <laughs> like the great con of our culture that what's interesting and important is sexy and new and spiky and sarcastic and ironic mm. and slamming other people like that's when mm. cultural capital accrues that is how you get to be cool <laughs> basically mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the like hiddenness of what life is really about david brooks who i know some people will not be a fan of uh politically but he wrote a book called the second mounting and he has this distinction that i come back to again and again between resume virtues and eulogy virtues like we are trained to do things that look good on our cv and put huge disproportionate amount of energy and intention into those things when actually the meaning of a good life is the things that people say about you at your funeral we are encouraged to put almost no energy and attention into becoming like the neighbor who can be relied on and the dad who never failed to put down his phone and go road bedtime story or like the civil society leader who emptied their own cupboard 
to feed someone who was hungry because no one's going to give you promotion for those things but when we die like bluntly and again healthy spirituality should be help us hold the fact that we're going to die like fairly front and center this is a finite thing like who do we want to be who do we want yeah. to have been that makes me teary-eyed because it immediately reminds me of in our closing circle because i was in a small group as well i'm just thinking about the five women who were in my small group and what we each said to each other because our final you know, closing exercise was to try and illuminate the gifts that we had seen in one another. And it felt like exactly that, which was the kind of eulogy values. Yeah, what what had we seen? And for people to have listened with you and spoken with you for, for this time and to be able to then say, well, what I, what I see in you is A, B, and C. They said I was funny, so that's good. Um, <laughs> no, but it was it was so lovely to just like be seen in that way. So shout out to my bundle flower group. But I, I hope I hope everyone had that experience where yeah, it felt really beautiful to to be seen in that way. Yeah. And again, that's the power of a community, right? It's really hard to hold on to the intuition that in those things consist a good life. And that's why like the reinforcement of showing up and saying this week, I really want to make it my priority to be more patient or be more loving or be more free. And then have someone who can ask you how that went and tell you that, yes, it is as important as getting a flat stomach or like, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, whatever distracting, totally legitimate, but ultimately very transitory personal goal. Yeah. You're focusing on it's like trying to break a spell it's like oh i have to hold on to this thing i know to be true because the noise makes me think that i'm deluded yeah yeah i want to come back to something you just said before which is that a healthy spirituality will keep us close to the the reality that we die and that Sorry. you know i'm gonna <laughs> joy uh I'm, I'm, but i want to extend that just a little bit which is that healthy spirituality keeps us very close in touch with the fact that things end. And I, I hope for a significant percentage of people have been part of the Nina so far that they'll um, be excited about stepping into the next journey. But for a good number of people, this will be the conclusion of the experience for now. And so as we think about small groups starting up again in January, there'll be a, a mix of people who folks have known before and some who, who are new to, to them. And so I just, I, I would love to hear you think out loud what do endings mean in our spiritual lives because they can you know can be sad yeah but sadness isn't the enemy mm. i think so to be very personal for a moment we so we moved into this intentional community after years and years and years of planning and years and years and years of praying and researching and what worrying about was this insane the way I got over my like, is this insane? You know, we have kids. It's really important that their childhood is not destroyed by my over utopian idealism. The way we talk about it in the community is when this ends, when we are no longer living together, how will that be? Like when yeah. we are no longer living together, because it almost definitely will. And yeah. unless we talk about it now and the, the the cultural story that we receive is that endings are always failures that a business that 
flourishes for a time and then the market changes and it can't continue is a failure rather than to go back to these biological metaphors like an annual plant rather than a perennial plant right yes yeah a beautiful flowering glory in the world for a time mm. like friendships can't all last our whole lives sometimes we go god bless you thank you for being a gift in my life traveling mercies have you know be well yeah <laughs> be well, exactly and there's a beautiful poem actually about icarus by jack gilbert which maybe i'll send you that you can put in the show notes mm. which starts with everyone forgets that icarus flew i think if we're thinking about growth in seasons and we're thinking about that everything ultimately ends in the end it softens this fear that this fear of endings and this fear of death we can say what a gift let me take this ending as an opportunity to notice what happened and give mm, oh, i love that and also if we feel that sadness or kind of oh we miss those people like it's a testament to how important it was and how much we felt for those people and yeah that's like yeah. that's a beautiful way of seeing it yeah and also that we often have more agency than we think we do if mm. we feel a deep sadness that something's ending it might be a call or an invitation for it not to end or <laughs> for us to take yeah. some agency in like taking the kernel of something yes yeah and creating something different out of it to work out what we loved about that and yeah. how do we therefore carry it into our life like Sometimes we have no agency and that's the bitter one when you really just have to grieve and sit with that feeling of helplessness and get a lot of love and a lot of help around you. Also, sometimes it's a spur to create something really cool. Totally, totally. Yeah, and that's, again, just thinking about my own small group, hearing people say, I really love doing you know this particular practice i'm going to find a group that does blah 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 more and i'm like fantastic that's great <laughs> go for it liz as we come to a close you know there's i hope so much more to say as as there will be no doubt in the future but what what would you want people who've been part of the nearness over the last two months to kind of remember as they seek to cultivate their spiritual lives whether it's in another nearness journey and something else what, what do you want them to hold on to after an experience like this? I mean, it feels a bit, it feels a bit presumptuous of me to say, not having been in one, but I guess I'd want to just celebrate the mm. people who made that quite risky decision. Like people who are prepared to try stuff when it's new, and scary and risky that asks some vulnerability and commitment of us and also tolerance like when things are being worked out the, the other thing that healthy spirituality does is helps erode the formation of always being a consumer in the world and it's really hard to be in a different mode from consumer mode because we're in consumer mode like 99 percent of the time the nearness is trying to create something that is not exactly a product but we only have those frames of reference right <laughs> to be brave <laughs> mm. and make that easier but just also just to not let i think everyone's there because they have that same intuition right that the deep quiet hidden things that they are the ingredients in a good life and whether the nearness small groups is the like cake tin 
<laughs> into which you want to pour those ingredients in the next uh, season or not. Like, just hold on to that to keep pursuing that because it takes concentration. Mm, bravery, concentration, cake tins. I like it. <laughs> it's not an analytic <laughs> philosophy of spirituality, let's be honest. Uh, but all the better for it. Um, I'm so glad, Liz. Thank you for your for your time and all your care for the nearness more generally. I'm, I feel so grateful to you, you know, as a friend and colleague for, for your wisdom and friendship and in all of this and um you know I, as as the the nearness can hopefully continues to grow and as people you know get to know each other i hope they'll get to know more of you as well because you're a, a a real special ingredient in our cake tin of uh <laughs> of spiritual community so with that we'll we'll let you go and and just say thank you again for being here today thank you so much for having me <laughs>